0: And a whole lot of people thought, hey, that's the most important thing. This big platform where all the devices are gonna send their data and we're gonna manage it and the security and identity and digital twins and analytics and that's the most important thing. Just bring your devices. It's possible that we were all wrong. What if all along that actually the devices were the most important thing?
1: Budget overruns, brick devices, data breaches building connected products is hard welcome to over the air sharp unfiltered conversations with executives about their iot journeys the mistakes they made the lessons they learned and what they wish they'd known when they started i'm your host ryan prosser Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT-Connected Devices and the Journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Vary, and today we are joined by the godfather of IoT, Mr. Rob Tiffany is back making his third appearance on the show. We've also got co-hosting with me today, Bill Flaherty, Director of Hardware Engineering here at Vary. We're going to be talking about 2023 predictions, but first a little bit of a look backwards. Rob, Bill, before we get started, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. Great. So let's jump right into it, guys. We're going to talk about 23 predictions. And uh, at the end of this year, we'll look back and see how we did. Let's look backwards really quickly at 2022, sort of a a huge year. Rob, I think we started the year with you on the show. So 2022 was kicked off with you. Yeah. A huge one. Okay, so we've got some questions from the audience coming in about looking backwards uh, 2022 themes. One is chip shortage. Okay, this is, I think when people look back, they're gonna, this is an unbelievable story. Um, For years, we were hearing about these uh, compressed supply chains. People were really proud of them. Lean, lean, lean. And then all of a sudden, whoa, maybe this isn't a a panacea of solution. Chip shortages, I know at Vary, we had to get extremely creative. Something Bill Flaherty knows a tremendous amount. We had to get extremely creative to solve IoT problems for clients. Rob, you go first. Yeah. Chip shortages, like what were you seeing? This seems like the story of the year. Yeah, it was. As far as stories, especially that aren't a theme, because now I think we're mostly out of it more on that later, but chip shortages, what did you observe? What are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, you know, um, you were trying to do business as usual in IoT, for instance, and you're accustomed to, if you're doing an IoT project, and you need X number of uh, devices, right? And you're accustomed to being able to order those. Maybe it's a three-week lead time or whatever it happens to be. And then all of a sudden, you start getting this feedback. It's like, uh, no, that's going to be a 53-week lead time, actually. And you're like, what? You know? And uh, it, obviously, customers aren't too happy with that uh, as well. Um, and then you start to scrounge around. And I know you guys did a great job of that, but some the rest of us are out there going on eBay and going anywhere to try to find devices, sensors, because stuff just kind of dried up, right? And uh, you know, it was a combination of a bunch of things. You know, obviously the the shutdown, people not working, people not at factories manufacturing those things <clears throat> like we're used to having, um, and then the whole supply chain was massively disrupted. Um, you know, we've all been accustomed to this just-in-time lean manufacturing also known as the toyota way if you go back in time and um which has been great you know people don't want to carry inventory and they don't you know and so in a perfect world your raw materials are coming in just in time you're making it just in time you get it to your distributors and it goes out to your customers if everything is tuned for perfection It works great. You know, we saw that a million years ago. That's what helped Dell computer make it when they were online only in the computer business instead of going to stores. It's why Tim Cook got hired by Steve Jobs because he was a supply chain master at Compaq. And obviously they own the supply chain at Apple. When you think about it, just buy up all the supply, right, Um, to make it work. But this time, this lean stuff doesn't work when there's ripples, right, you know? We talk about this in IoT. When we're doing industrial IoT stuff, and let's say we're monitoring industrial robots on an assembly line, because uh, if something goes down and the assembly line goes down and you're doing just in time lean manufacturing, it causes a ripple effect, right? It hits your distributors, it hits your customers, you lose goodwill, you're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars or euros or whatever per hour. It's just a big no bueno. Anyway, we all suffered from that during this lockdown and struggle is real. Mr. Bill Flaherty, I I know at Vary, we had to, this
1: put us in a very tight spot with some clients. They had release deadlines. What are some of the things you observed and, and extrapolating that out to what it probably looked like in other companies? I mean, what did this look like for people trying to develop new products in 2022?
2: I think like it really forced folks to be like nimble, quick on their feet. Right. You, you couldn't. There's uh, I, I think the old school way of, of designing hardware was really focused around you pick a microcontroller. Right. You do that early. You lock it in and you develop all your firmware around that and all this. Your, your entire product is built around that. And all of a sudden, that foundational rock of the development practice was just gone. Right. You couldn't just select a microcontroller anymore, because like Rob said, you know, you were getting 53 because I had vendors telling me 99 week leads. And I remember I called one guy and I said, "What's 99 weeks mean?" And he said, "I don't even know." He said, it's just, "It's just the highest number the system lets me put in, so that's what I put in there, right?" And so it was—it was just this complete seismic shift in the way that we had to approach engineering.
1: This episode is brought to you by Vary, the worldwide leaders in IoT technology development. Do you have a commercial or industrial IoT project? IoT is a journey. Start yours at VaryTechnology.com.
2: The thing that I, maybe looking back, can appreciate about what the chip shortage did, and I think, honestly, this is going to be probably a running theme as we talk about 2022, um, is that it forced us all to get creative and innovate. And think about new ways to approach these things. Like one of the big things that we did here at Vary was start heavily leveraging um, these RTOSs that give you a little bit of an abstraction layer from the hardware, right? Something like Zephyr, where now, right, I don't have to necessarily lock myself into a microcontroller because a few lines of code port me over to something new. Right? And that kind of that, that wasn't something that folks were really focused on as important before, but now now we can develop in a much more nimble way, and it gives us benefits even outside of the chip shortage of being able to move quickly, um, parallelize our work streams, and do all those things and get to market faster. So I think that's been maybe the the big silver lining on the cloud of the chip shortage is that force forcing uh, you know designers to get more innovative.
1: Yeah. Necessity uh, as the mother of invention. It, it does look like a very changed space. The second theme. So let's transition now from something that impacted a giant percentage of the audience, which is the ship shortage. If you're out there listening to this episode and, and you're in IoT, you, this probably hits you. Here's one that you know maybe is more on our television screens. IoT for warfighters really had a had kind of a breakout moment in 2022. Rob, if I'm not mistaken, you're ex-Marine Corps. Close. Navy. Ex-Navy. Submarines. Ah, ah, submarines. Okay. So, you know, land war in Europe in 2022, you know, talk about like, if you had that on your bingo card, uh, how much money would you have won? the, The stories coming out of uh Ukraine, and we tried so hard to have someone on the show, most of the people can't speak on the record. So it, we're not able to to get anybody with like firsthand knowledge. And we tried hard. You had on the one side of the spectrum, consumer electronics, you know, so the, the Ukrainian armies, are using consumer grade drones very effectively, maybe this is like a $1,000 product causing, you know, I'll make it up and say $20, $40 million worth of damage. So that kind of asymmetry, very interesting. But then on the other side of the spectrum, You've got Elon Musk saying, hey, I'm pro-Ukraine. Let me, let me just flick a switch and activate internet connectivity for this country, really chop the legs off of, of one part of Putin's strategy to, to disable that. I mean, so now you've got one private citizen seemingly asymmetrically just deciding to do this. I mean, I didn't read anything about the, him being arm twisted at all, and I don't know that Musk gets arm twisted, but that was an unbelievable part of the story as well. What do you guys make? And and, uh, Rob, with your military background, I'll probably look to you more on this one. IoT in the military feels like it's having a transformational moment. I know DARPA, et cetera. This has been a long time coming, but this feels very different. What what do we make of what we saw in 2022 in Ukraine? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, it hits home for me, and not just because I was in the military. I'm actively a military advisor, and so I'm talking to admirals and generals and colonels and majors. Several times a year, actually, and DARPA as well. And so, yes, I don't just advise other companies. Um, and so we talk about stuff, and you're right, some things we can't talk about, but at a high level, what do we think about what what do we think about IOT giving us? It's situational awareness, right? And that's what the military is all about. I need better situational awareness. I don't want to be surprised or have something sneak up on me that I don't see coming, right? And that's what IoT does for us in commercial world, in business, you know, or whatever it happens to be. And so we need as many eyes and ears, right, as you can get. And that's what sensors are. And that's what cameras are. And how do we connect all that stuff? Oh, probably some kind of wireless connectivity. And thank you, Elon, uh, for, for the big hookup there, obviously, in Ukraine. So that connectivity thing that's a requirement for IoT, that got helped. You're right. People were using commercial drones, um, you know, you get scrappy, you get resourceful. We, On our last little segment here on the chip shortage, we talked about how we all had to get scrappy and resourceful and resilient. When you're under stress, some of the best creativity comes out, right? And so talk about a whole nation under stress and having to be creative. Um, so, yeah, whether it's IoT and sensors, uh, digital twins, you know, you're normally thinking about a digital twin to model a machine or a, a crops or whatever it is, you can use it to model scenarios in warfighting. You can use it because what do we do in IoT? At the very first thing when that data is coming in, we're pattern matching. And then after we do the pattern matching, that's when we can do all kinds of analytics and we can hydrate twins. Well, you can pattern match to if your enemy on the battlefield, if you see certain, you, could, you know how people talk about having a library of digital twins and machines? Can you imagine having a library of digital twins that look like a a battle scenario that's coming upon you on the battlefield where you go, Hey, I've seen that before. Or if anybody remembers the movie Patton, you know, when he's in North Africa and has a successful tank battle, what does he say? He says, Rommel, you brilliant son of a, I read your book. Well, that's what it is. It's reading somebody's book. We often talk about a digital twin of a car as a replacement for the owner's manual in the glove compartment. So absolutely tons of usage for a lot of the stuff that we take for granted every day for the warfighter.
1: Bill, I I know you know a thing or two about the DoD. Thoughts from your point of view?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, from, from my time spent working with the DoD, one thing that I think is true of a lot of the the big actors in that space is they focus on the big technologies, the big weapons, the the big scary things. It's very easy to get locked into that view. But I think one of the things that IoT has done in general is democratize technology that previously was the domain of only these big players, right? And so the same technology that like Rob was talking about earlier, instrumenting our robotic assembly line, that same technology is in my house, monitoring my doors and monitoring the temperature and setting my furnace and all that stuff, right? That wasn't the case a decade ago, two decades ago. And so in that same way, technology that used to be the domain only of these big players now is easily in the hands of folks who are much less enfranchised than they are, right? I think we're seeing that play out in, in Ukraine, like you said, Ryan, with the commercial drones is a, is a great example, right? A uh, uh, easily controlled Aerial delivery vehicle was the domain of only the prime, uh, you know, uh, the prime actors on the world stage until five, 10 years ago. Now anybody can buy one with $400 at their local electronics store, right? And that completely changes the way that these things are approached. And so I think that we've seen that play out in a big way in, in Ukraine this year.
0: You know, I mean, Bill, the way you said it is that's how we describe IoT too, isn't it? The technology that we cobbled together to make IoT in the last decade or so used to be the domain of only the wealthiest companies and governments who could buy that advanced multi-million dollar advanced analytics technologies. Now you just go to Apache.org and download it for free. Game changer. Exactly. Game changer. Yep, exactly.
1: All right, third topic in no particular order. Um this one comes to us from from our audience and, and I, you know, Rob, this was something you and I have talked about before. Um, I want to give this young man a little shout out on the air. I'm probably going to butcher his name. Lucas Smolinowski wants to know, why are we seeing so many major companies shutting down their IoT platforms? I know this is something you and I have strong thoughts on. Rob, lead us off, uh, (laughs) Bill, up to you next.
0: Yeah. Well, it hits close to home. So since 2018, I was a a VP and head of IoT strategy at Ericsson uh, and on this the team I was on, on the LT for the IoT Accelerator, uh, which is a group in, in Sweden, and that group got a, a carved out, you know, an m deal and was carved out and sold off to Eris Communications. And so you saw that divestiture by Ericsson of a whole group that that used to be my team. Um, we've seen SAP shutting down their IoT stuff. If you remember SAP Leonardo, things like that, that's Sunset, actually, uh, earlier last year. Google IoT Core probably got the most headlines of being shut down. IBM's IoT, uh, I think they currently call it Watson, but you might remember it being called Bluemix in the past. They're shutting it down. Uh, Bosch IoT Device Management is going to be sunset in 2024. And so you're seeing a lot of these big platforms, right? And, and some are apples and oranges. Obviously, IoT Accelerator is more of a connection management thing for, for cellular, right? Um, and, it, and it's not necessarily going away. It's just going to somebody else. Uh, these other things, though, maybe maybe we got it wrong. I mean, I was uh, helping architect Azure IoT, you know, a big global platform. and got to design Lumada at Hitachi. And a whole lot of people thought, hey, that's the most important thing this big platform where all the devices are going to send their data and we're going to manage it and the security and identity and digital twins and analytics and dashboards and outcomes. And that's the most important thing. Just bring your devices. And so everybody dove in thinking that's the most important thing. It's possible that we were all wrong. What if all along the actually the devices were the most important thing and the super narrow use case with the burning problem that the customer has. I think that's the actual problem. And so when people built horizontal platforms saying, hey, check out my Swiss army knife, it'll solve any problem for any use case. Well, you know what that does in a sales call? It paralyzes customers. And you know, another way to paralyze customers is go tell regular folks who are trying to get their job done, oh, we're going to need some IoT. And we just added some AI onto that. How's that sound? And they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Is that like robots from the future? So Advice, I often, you know, I advise lots of startups, and lots of IoT companies. And what do I say? I'm like a broken record. It's like, stop being horizontal, stop trying to save the world in every way possible. Look at your leadership team. Is there something one of you guys did before you came here? Like you're an expert at some vertical, some super important use case. Go solve that problem and then double down on that problem and drill in. And if that means you're all about railroads or water quality management or agriculture or whatever drill in then it helps you sell because you know exactly who you're selling to every time you know how to market better uh and you know and then you get really good at what you're doing so uh i i think this is an indictment of the hey we got a, a swiss army knife that can do everything for everybody focus baby
1: I love it. Product market fit making an appearance on this episode. Just when you think maybe we'll have an episode where we don't obsess about product market fit. (laughs) We found a way. Yeah, you found a way. It's the most important thing. It is the most important thing. It is the location, location, location of the technology and business world. Mr. Bill Flaherty, what's your take?
2: I mean, I, I would echo, I think, a lot of what Rob said. Bob, I think I'll even steal a, a quote that I think I read that you wrote, which is like, I'll paraphrase here, like, IoT is not an industry, right? IoT is a collection of technologies that get applied into different industries. And I think these big platforms treated IoT as an industry, right? And it's, it. it what you said, paints way too broad a brush. And I think what The the thing that makes me really hopeful, especially moving into twenty three, you know, seeing some of these services shut down is I think it's gonna make the space in the market for these more boutique applications that can really drive value into specific verticals, right? Find that product market fit and Rather than driving a little bit of value into all of them, it can drive a lot of value into one. Um, and like we've seen that, I mean, over and over with customers here at Ferry is you can't just take this generic IoT approach to projects. You have to understand the industry that these folks are coming from because if you don't, you're going to fail, and, and your product isn't going to find um, a foothold with its with its intended users. So I think, yeah, that's that to me is the big takeaway here.
0: Yeah, Bill, it's just a bunch of enabling technologies. You know, if you manufacture spark plugs or timing belts, you don't say, I'm in the spark plug industry. No, you're in the (laughs) automotive industry and then you're an enabling technology for cars. Don't overthink it and don't blow yourself up. But like, you're all that. You're just a little piece in a bigger actual industry.
1: All right. Now, as promised, and by the way, we are way over time. I love it. This could be a long episode and that's just the way it goes. This is a predictions episode. So let's talk about some predictions that are going to make us look, you know, probably incredibly stupid when we revisit them in December. The first one, as you know, we talked about supply chain issues waning and this chip shortage. You know, it even maybe turning into a bit of a surplus issue, perhaps. Maybe we'll see. Set, the first topic that really jumps out to me is, much like with solar from ten or fifteen years ago, we're seeing the price of sensors come down and unlock, I don't know, opportunities to to be able to track and measure things where the price didn't make any sense at all five or 10 years ago. Now it's a no-brainer, almost, I don't know, sort of a Moore's Law of Sensors type moment. Um, What's you guys' take? I mean, it it seems like we are headed to a world where everything is IoT. Everything is a T on the I, What's, what's your take this time let's let's reverse it uh, uh, bill lead us off what's your take on the, the price crash or whatever you want to call it of sensors what second unlock is there anything to be worried about or is there going to be overkill seems to me this is going to be become a data science crisis eventually as we have this giant amount of sensors out there and we don't have a corresponding giant amount of data scientists and data science solutions doing things with them that's just my take bill
2: what's your take i would say i don't know if i think this is so much of a as a sea change as kind of the trend that the industry has taken in over over the last you know 20 or 30 years we talked about this when we're talking about 22 is this idea of you know sensors that i have in my house that i buy for tens of dollars are things that 30 years ago were highly specialized pieces of industrial equipment, right? And we're, we're seeing that trend continue. And, like, a couple of the the kind of sensing technologies that now we're seeing come into the more affordable space, things like millimeter wave and LIDAR, right, that can, that can enable these new applications, really exciting, because I think it does open up more spaces. But, like you said, it does present a challenge because – now you're dumping even more data into the system. And if you don't know what to do with that data, then it's just going to overwhelm you and it's going to cause problems. Right? Like this idea that more data is always better, not if you don't know what to do with it.
0: <laughs> I just threw up in my mouth.
2: Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And well, and I think like there's this um, when things get cheap. When things like, let's say, millimeter wave or LiDAR get cheap, there's this idea, well, we're just going to put it in everything. And that's also a mistake, right? And so I think this is great that they we're seeing these sensors get to the point where they are usable, that we can bring them into new and exciting applications. But you have to do it cautiously because, again, if you paint with too broad a brush and you say everything's a LiDAR problem, you're going to throw these sensors in areas where they don't belong. You're going to waste uh, the potential and, and, like, overcomplicate these systems. And that's not a good thing. So I think it's a balancing act.
0: Wow, Bill, it feels like everything, everywhere, all the time is what it feels like (laughs) to me. Is that the prediction there? Um, You know what? I'm hoping it can unlock some things that died at the POC level or projects that never got off the ground because of affordability, right? Um, You know, it's the sensors. It's the endpoint device that has compute storage and networking, and sensors are either embedded in it or hanging off of it. And, you know, gosh, my experience went, you know, I've been doing mostly industrial stuff most of my life, but when I started doing stuff on farms, you know, the growers were thrilled with that data and that information. But when you started to talk about deploying at scale, if I'm going to deploy 10,000 things of these devices out across 10,000 acres, all of a sudden you're talking real money. You know, the devices are a few hundred dollars, the sensors, the connectivity, if we can have a glut of those things and the price comes down, then maybe it can be affordable uh, and not just a dream for some people. Because some people, the scale of what they need is, is so big and broad, it starts to become unaffordable. And as we know, in any business, economics trumps everything. Even your coolest idea that you think is going to change the world, economics will shoot it right in the head. And that's no bueno. And so uh, I'm hopeful about this this trend, you know, and uh, and yeah, I hope we can make the most of it.
2: I think the exciting thing too, Rob, is it's like a positive reinforcement loop, right? Yeah. It's like when it gets cheap enough that a company can start doing it in a, in a mass manufactured way, that drives the price down even more and then enables more things. So I think that's really exciting as well.
0: Yeah, and you know, you talked about this, too much data, the, the data science thing, whatever. I'm not a data scientist. I don't have my PhD in statistics. I would not claim to be one of those people. But what I am is a streaming data automation guy. And so I, I care about the right data coming in and automating processes because what I find out from actual customers is they're not interested in looking at lots of dashboards full of data. They're spending a lot of money on this tech, and they want it to do the thing for them. What's IoT doing? It's replacing or emulating a job to be done in a company or in an organization by a human. That's all it is. And it turns out they want automation. And so when you can do streaming data, hit certain KPIs, you see it this way, do this action. That's what folks want. You know, a a guy, you know, they're in Ryan's hometown of Bozeman. You know, I was at a startup pitch in December, and one of the VCs I'm sitting next to made some kind of comment. We were talking about mapping and IoT, and he'd been an investor in mapping stuff. He goes, hey, customers aren't interested in looking at maps. They want turn by turn directions. And I'm like, that's exactly right. Do the thing.
1: Okay, so let's keep this show moving. Second topic predictions. Let's talk about the Edge processors. Let's not talk about the guitarist from U2, the Edge. Okay, so three out of four only for discussion today. It was cloud, cloud, cloud for a long time, you know, and now it seems like in certain cases for certain applications, things are changing. You know, you didn't hear much about this. It, it feels like this, again, Moore, Moore's Law kind of making an appearance here. So things are now technically possible that weren't five years ago. But also, I think people are starting to think about security in a different way than they were before. Let, let's start with uh, with Mr. Bill Flaherty once again. Bill, what's your take on this? What do you make? What's your prediction
2: for 23 So I I think we talked about this a little bit actually last time that Rob and I were on the show together, which is like, I'm a big proponent of right tool for the job, right? And sometimes the cloud is the right tool for the job. Sometimes the edge is the right tool for the job. And I think, you know, building off our previous question about about sensors, we're going to be generating more data. And I mean, LiDAR, as an example, generates an absolutely enormous amount of data. Right? If you're trying to pump all of that over a cell connection back to the cloud to do processing, oh boy, I, I hope your relationship with Verizon is good because your bills are going to be through the roof. Right. And so, you know, there's these new families of, of edge processors coming out like the, uh, the IMX 95 from NXP, uh, the AM5729 from, uh, from TI that have these, you know, multi-core processors that have you know, neural processing units. They have kind of this mix of things all together in one bag that lets you do much more powerful computing on the edge. Right. And so now you're not having to ship a huge amount of data up or like you're talking about, Ryan, like, you know, uh, we I, the, uh, the European privacy laws. Right. You don't want to be sending people's pictures, pictures of faces back to the cloud, because all of a sudden you're subject to a huge number of regulations and things like that. These new uh, pieces of hardware that I think are going to start gaining traction and we'll see them in the market. Um, are going to enable some of these applications that before uh, were really challenging and, and introduce some you know real business risks into uh, into companies. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what we're able to do with, with some of this edge compute in, in
0: 23. It's very edgy of you, Bill, but I think you're <laughs> right. I think you're right. You know, absolutely. It is terrible. But, yeah, like data governance, data sovereignty, right? Some places, you know, we've talked about, you're right, in the past, Data doesn't leave my factory. Guess you're doing an edge solution. Data needs to be on the bullet train. Don't have any other choice. Got to be there. All these autonomous vehicles, all the brains have to be in the vehicle, not on some cloud that you're going to talk to with some ridiculous latency and then the airbag deploys after the car's blown up or something, right? So ed- edge is critical, 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 critical. And yeah, so it's great. More power. Uh, also, there's another law besides... The Moore's law. There's Kumi's law, which is about battery life. So look that up, folks, because when you have things that have to live on their own, right, on battery, solar, whatever, you know. Remember, every time you have to go visit a device to change a battery or fix something, you're killing the ROI for that particular data stream. And so you don't want to have to visit it. And so conserving battery life on edge things that have to be out on their own if they're not plugged into a wall, super critical.
1: For the audience, both live and recorded, if you will will drop as a comment on this episode, high latency airbag, we're gonna send you an over the air t shirt. As long as <laughs> you gotta be in, the, in North America, we're gonna send you, we're gonna send you an over the air podcast t shirt, collector's launch edition. I, I think high latency airbag is the helicopter ejector seat of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, we're having too much fun. Let's go to our third topic here. Okay, so uh for the recorded audience hearing this, we're recording this today January uh in 2023. Um it is already almost a cliche to say this. Chat GPT 3, I am required to say on the air at least once per episode as we sit here. If you don't say it, you are totally irrelevant. Everyone's talking about it. But it feels like the story here really is AI is here you know the rise of the machines has begun we are in full swing now and as opposed to some of these other flash in the pan uh, moments Scott Galloway a, a thinker that I really respect a professor out of NYU has a great uh, newsletter by the way um, if you just type in Professor Galloway you'll find it I read it every week but he was talking a few weeks ago about the amount of research papers and mentions in the press that a thing has graphed over time really gives you a sense of, are we looking at a flash in the pan where a thing spikes quickly because everybody talks about a thing they don't understand? Or is this a thing that really ramped in a healthy way? AI you know his thesis, and it seems to be borne out. AI is really ramping in a healthy way. We've been building up to this moment for two decades. There's a lot of research behind it. There's a lot of technology behind it. People have been doing serious things, but it's a little bit scary. I mean, real talk, right? Rob, I, I know that you uh, share some of my views on this AI generally. Let's not get too hung up on GPT three. That's by
0: oh, let's get hung up on it. Okay, fine. Let's get, totally hung up. get hung up on it. Go you know? broad.
1: Go deep. Rob,
0: Tiffany, what do you think? Go. It can't be a flash in the pan because this has been, so the organization is called OpenAI. The person who runs it is a guy named Sam Altman, right? And you may know him from Y Combinator as well, okay? They've been working on this stuff for years. And so what's this GPT thing? It's GPT-3 is the version that they're on that's powering this behind. They are working on GPT-4, which might come out later this year. Part of this is how many different data dimensions, points of data, that it can go through its machine learning and, and crunch on all that stuff, on all the data on the planet, right? And so GPT-4 is going to be even more insane. So an outward view to consumers of the work they've been doing for years. And, you know, I know Elon was an early investor in that stuff. And then he freaked out and said, oh, my God, no, this is going to kill us. Um, you, The first thing that came out uh, in last year was DALL-E2. And that's, both of these things come from OpenAI. You'll get them from the same website. And that's where you can tell it, give me make, make me a picture of a raccoon wearing a sombrero playing guitar, you know, in a pool. And it will do it for you. And then you saw apps come out and a popular one on the iPhone and Android was Linza AI. And you started seeing all your friends coming up with these pictures of themselves looking like superheroes or astronauts or fantasy, whatever, and you uploaded like 10 selfies and it crunched on it and gave you all these cool things. And you look a whole lot better than you actually do. The second thing that came out was chat GPT, where you could ask questions, you could give it prompts and it could blow you away with the stuff. And so I remember the very first week that came out and I signed up and it blew me away. And and there's some controversy here. <laughs> My wife is a school teacher and we were sitting there together and we started doing stuff. And it's not just asking questions on math. It could be like writing a paper or all kinds of stuff. And she was horrified and she's like, oh my God, the kids are going to be cheating like crazy using this stuff. They're going to plagiarize. They're going to have, you know, I need to write a five page paper. No problem. Chat beep, beep, crank it out. Right. And then you started, and so I remember making comments like that online, and other people made comments, or you saw reports of different school districts saying they're banning chat GPT, but then I saw tech people we know saying, oh, you're stupid, you're so short-sighted, we should encourage that, it's just another tool for kids, like the calculator or whatever. And that's kind of going back and forth. Um, I don't know if the horses are out of the barn, you might be able to prevent kids with a computer in the school going to that site. But obviously they could do it at home. I know there's some guy out there who's been writing something, some code that can detect if it's written by Chat GPT or not. My wife says, I'll be able to know because I see how my kids normally write already. their kind of tone, their theme. And if it looks too good or looks like it came from some otherworldly machine, I'll know they're faking it. But there's lots to check out, people who won't know any better. Um, and I know there's people writing books right now. I'm not going to say any names who might be using chat GPT to write whole chapters for them. I don't know. It could happen. So anyway, that's all I got.
1: I mean, we're seeing original lines of code being written to solve you problem. I mean, this is getting very interesting. Uh, Bill, before we turn it over to you all, just uh, two Interesting notes, I guess, as we sit here in this moment, January 26th, 2023, ChatGPT is not available. Their servers have in this moment crashed and they're saying, please try back later. I mean, so this is exploding in terms of at least initial popularity. And it does appear to be the death of the college essay you know and other things like that because it's um, our producer you know Reese who is always in the background of every one of these episodes you know likes to is a songwriter it likes to he has a book that he's been writing and he says that it wrote both the best verse to his song that he's ever written and the best chapter to his book which it you know the, the, these are and I've seen some of the things it's put out so it, I mean it's just an unbelievable but still narrow application of um, what seems to be coming. Bill, what's your take? So
2: I think my my overall reaction to a lot of the I guess media attention and reactions that you're seeing to chat GPT to DALI because like we've been talking a lot about Chat GPT, but uh, there's been huge controversy in the art world around DALI too, right? And if AI generated artwork should be allowed or whatever. I see all of this and to me it's very reminiscent of, oh, the television is going to ruin our society. Oh, the computer, no one's ever going to do any work anymore. Oh, the horseless carriage is going to completely ruin the way that our, like these are, there's always a backlash against an advancement in technology. And almost always the most dire predictions are tempered by something else that we've talked about multiple times here, which is innovation, right? Somebody comes along that finds a way to either uh, temper, The bad parts of the thing that we're developing, like Rob was saying, somebody writing a piece of code that can detect an AI generated text, right, and and alert you. Or it's finding new methods of teaching that maybe don't allow you to use ChatGPT to figure out what's going on, right? Like demonstrating your knowledge in a practical setting in the real world or something, right? There's these different ways that human beings are infinitely creative. And when these new tools come along, they become exactly that, new tools that we use. Um, I think the thing that worries me more about these AI generations is that, um, and and this has gotten maybe a little bit of media attention, but not as much as I would like, is they are limited by the data sets upon which they are trained, right? Like if you go to DALI 2 and you tell it, show me a picture of a Silicon Valley founder, which I did when it first came out. Do you know what it's going to show you? A picture of a white guy right? Because that's the data set that it has. That's what it knows. It doesn't understand diversity unless it's fed diversity. It doesn't understand the wider range of human ideas and creativity unless it's fed that information. And that can be dangerous, is if we use these tools without understanding their limitations, then we can get ourselves into a spot where, you know, we're very much tunnel visioning ourselves around this single set of ideas that this model was trained with.
0: Well said. As Dirty Harry once said, a man's got to know his limitations, you know. And so, uh, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And, you know, there's lots of people, though, they they get everything you said. We come up with new innovations and we think it's going to be the end of the world. And then we do something better and it's always good. But there's some people that say technology and stuff is now advancing at such a hyperscale rate that people won't be able to keep up. You know how we say, oh, we're going to free that person up to work on higher level problems when we replace their utility right um well all of a sudden chat gpt is the one that can work on higher level problems right like a human can and so it's you know we'll see so the big takeaway is when we get by the time we get to the end of 2023 will this be the sunset of mankind you know will we be the initial people getting plugged into the matrix the metaverse is going to get real for people you know, are we going to have to destroy the sky and uh, pull the plug on this stuff? You know, I don't know. But uh, it's going to be a wild ride in 2023.
1: <laughs> it does feel like the acceleration is now much faster than people are comfortable with, the average person, you know. And, and it used to be, it, it felt to me at least, that the acceleration was something that 90% of people are comfortable with. You know, 10% was saying, ah, the horseless carriage, uh, hell with this thing. But most people were like, man, the automobile, that's pretty cool. That unlocks a lot of value for me. It feels, you know, maybe this will be, you know, the next time we do this predictions episode, this will be one of them. At what point are we going to get to the point where people say, no, the acceleration of technology is too fast. It is now faster. If at one time it was faster than 10% we're comfortable with. What, what does it look like when that acceleration is faster than 90% of people are comfortable with? You know, and what is, go- what is government's role in that? What does it look like for government to stifle innovation as a feature, not a book? You know, of course, a lot of people say, government, get out of the way, whatever. And I get that. What does it look like when we're actively asking them to? So I, I wonder if that's going to be uh, somewhere in our 2024 predictions episode. Is it time to start having a conversation about... What is a level of innovation, let's call it an acceleration rate, that 50% are comfortable with or or some bigger percentage? Because it does feel like we're getting to that 90% uncomfortable place. And that feels scary to me. I don't know. So yeah,
2: I was just going to say, I think an interesting corollary to that is genetics research, right? I think 15 years ago, we went through almost a very similar moment with genetics where all of a sudden cloning a person became a thing that was a reality that we could potentially realize in the near future. Um, and we saw government step in with regulations to slow that innovation down. So it is interesting hearing you say that to wonder if we'll see a similar uh, kind of playbook uh, workout for for AI innovations here in the, in the coming year. Mm-hmm. And what that would do,
1: you know, if one country is more comfortable with a higher rate of acceleration than another country, you know, technology without borders becomes technology with borders. I I don't see how that would work. So much to discuss in our end of year predictions episode, when we get back into, is humanity over by Rob Tiffany?
0: (laughs) We might all be on a battlefield against Skynet when we do the end of the year thing.
2: Next year's guest, John Connor. Uh, (laughs) All
1: right. Well, uh, Rob, thank you so much for being on the show today. And Bill, uh, thank you for for coming on to help me co-host this thing.
0: Thanks for having me. This has been great.
2: Yeah,
1: this
0: was wonderful. Thank you, Ryan. All right,
1: folks. And thank you guys for joining us. Join us next year as we do another things you can expect to see in IOT podcast episode. Until then next week, we're going to return to regularly scheduled programming where we talk about things that went wrong on a journey that went right. See you guys out there. Over the air is brought to you by Veri. To find out more about us, head over to verietechnology.com. And to ensure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever great podcasts are found. And as always, five-star reviews are greatly appreciated.